We have a good crowd tonight, and I sincerely appreciate the presence of each one of you. With this being our last night, I want to say just a few things before we begin our lesson. I want to thank you for the invitation to come back to New Antioch and to be with you again. It's been such a blessing and privilege for Anna and myself and with everything that has gone on with COVID the last year and a half, it has been very refreshing to me to get to preach in this gospel effort. And I want to sincerely thank you for inviting me to come. You have such a wonderful congregation. It is such a delight to be among such godly, dedicated people. And I cherish your friendship. I'm thankful for the soundness of this congregation and all the hard work that you do on a weekly basis. It's been a joy to be with Brother Bill and Sister Rita to get to know them better, to see them again, and they are obviously devout servants of the Lord that have been doing this great work for a long, long time. And I appreciate their example and their influence in this whole area for the cause of Christ. Our singing this week has been exceptional. Amen. And I want to thank Donnie and Bob for the great job that they have done in leading our singing. It makes preaching easier when you have good singing. And not only have we had excellent leaders in our singing, but everyone has really sung out. And the singing has just been beautiful. I am thankful for all the sincere prayers that have been prayed for so many people and for this gospel meeting. You know, there's one thing that we can all do for one another. We can pray for one another. You know, sometimes people develop the attitude, well, there's not really anything important that I can do. You know, I don't have much ability and I'm just really not making much of a difference. Well, let me tell you something. Every child of God can pray. And that makes a huge difference. One of the most important things that we can do for one another is to pray for one another. And that could have been another lesson this week. <laughs> Prayer makes a great congregation. And the prayers have been so meaningful and so sincere. But we've just had a great week together. I trust that the lessons have encouraged you and they have caused you to rededicate yourself to the to Christ and to this congregation and to really work harder at making the New Antioch Church a greater congregation. And so just keep up all the wonderful things 
that you're doing. I'm so thankful for you, and I appreciate your friendship and your kindness toward Hannah and myself. We have a great study before us tonight as we conclude our gospel meeting. What makes a great congregation? That's our theme. And we started with thankfulness. And tonight we're going to end with the truth. We need to always remember that the truth is the standard of a great congregation. What we do in the church must be according to the truth, which is God's Word. We have a lengthy prayer of Jesus in John 17, a very meaningful prayer. And in this prayer, He said in verse 17 to the Father, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. When we talk about the truth, we're talking about God's Word. We're talking about what God tells us to do in His Word. And what we do in the church must be authorized by His Word, which is the truth. We have this simple statement in Psalm 119, verse 142, Thy law is the truth. We know from John 14 and verse 6 that Jesus is the truth. And the church, His church that He purchased with His own blood, is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. We need to understand when you depart from the truth, that is God's Word, you depart from Jesus and His church. That's something we don't ever want to do, right? We don't ever want to depart from Jesus and His church. But if we depart from the truth, then we do exactly that. We need to understand that the commandments of men makes our relationship with God in vain. Speaking of worship, Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 15 and verse 9, but in vain... Think about this. When something is in vain, it is of no profit. It is to no avail in the sight of God. And so, of the worship of the scribes and Pharisees, he said, but in vain they do worship me. Why? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. See, they were not teaching the commandments of God, which is the truth. They were teaching the commandments of men. And there is a big difference between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. And the commandments of men make our relationship with Christ vain. We must always remember that. And so tonight, I want us to notice how the truth is constantly emphasized in Scripture and how we must never depart from it as our standard because truth is the standard of a great congregation. Here's our first point. The truth makes us free from sin. What's the greatest need of every human being? 
to be free from sin. And Jesus said in John 80 verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, ye shall know God's word, and the truth shall make you free. Your obedience to the truth will make you free from sin. To be free, everyone should delight in the truth and want to obey the truth. You know, I've known people that have heard the truth preached many times. I've known people who know that they should obey the truth. But for one reason or another, they've never done it, even though many years have passed. That's tragic. That's sad. To know the truth, to know that you should obey the truth, to know what the truth teaches, but turn away from it. We must know and we must accept the fact to be free from sin, we must obey the gospel of Christ, which is the truth, which is His Word. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls, how? In obeying the truth. Through the Spirit, unto unfeigned or genuine love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. One of the most sobering passages in all the New Testament is in Romans chapter 2, where Paul talks in detail about the judgment day. In verses 8 and 9, he talks about those that will not obey the truth. And he talks about what's going to happen to them. And I want you to listen to this. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. So it's serious business when we talk about obeying the truth. When you obey the truth, God's Word, you're set free from sin. If you refuse to do that, you carry with you the burden and the bondage of sin all of your life. And you are separated from God. And you will spend eternity separated from God if you stay in that condition. So to be free, we must obey the truth. We are born again with the word of truth. Think about these verses that emphasize this fact. James 1 and verse 18, of His own will begat He us with the word of truth. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15, For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And see, when you go back to Acts 18 on Paul's second missionary journey, you see him taking the gospel to those Corinthians and establishing the church there. And we read that many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. And so he said, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through
through the gospel. Listen to the wording of 1 Peter 1.23. Now we quoted verse 22 a moment ago, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. He said in verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Look at that. Being born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But what does this process involve of being set free from sin? Of purifying our souls? Of being born again? The process involves belief. Jesus said in John 8 verse 24, For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. The process involves repentance of our sins. Because when Paul preached that great sermon on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, Acts 17 verse 30, he said that all men everywhere are commanded to repent. This process involves confessing Christ as the Son of God. Before the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized in Acts chapter 8, when Philip was sent to him with the gospel, with the word of God, he made that great confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8 and verse 37. And then this process concludes with baptism. For the forgiveness of sins. On the day the church began in Acts chapter 2, when those Jews who had crucified Christ were pricked in their hearts by Peter preaching the word to them, the gospel to them, they were convicted. They realized that they were guilty of killing the Savior, the Messiah, the one that came to save them from sin. And when they were preaching their hearts, they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do to be forgiven of our sins? And Peter commanded them in Acts 2 and verse 38 to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission or for the forgiveness of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And according to about verse 41, about 3,000 of those Jews gladly received the word and were baptized. And that moment, the Lord added them to His church. See, that's the process of being set free from sin. Of being born again. You believe in Christ. You repent of your sins. You confess Him as the Son of God. And you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then after becoming a Christian, the process continues. Because you must continue to obey the truth. In the book of Galatians, sadly, Paul is having to deal with false teachers. This is those that were teaching the commandments of men instead of the commandments of God. He is having to deal with false teachers who had entered in among the churches of Galatia and were leading them astray. And he said in chapter 1, But though we are an angel from heaven, preaching the other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
That's verse 8. He said the same thing again in verse 9. You can't preach another message. You can't preach the commandments of men. You must only preach the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can be changed. And over in chapter 3, when you read the first verse, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? See, they had allowed these false teachers to lead them away from the truth. You must always obey the truth and follow the truth and be loyal to the truth. Just in this short time tonight of studying that the truth makes us free from sin, we can see how important God's Word, the truth is, if we are going to have lives that are pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. And so, yes, truth is the standard of a great congregation. If we are going to be a great congregation, we must believe the truth and always obey the truth. And never allow the devil to use anyone to lead us away from the truth. Here's our second point. Not only does the truth make us free from sin, we are to serve God in sincerity and in truth. Look at those two great characteristics. Sincerity. You're genuine. You're not a hypocrite. Your heart is in what you are doing. And of course, we've already given the definition of the truth. It's God's Word. And so we are to serve God in sincerity, genuinely, from the heart, and in truth, according to the teaching of His Word. As a matter of fact, when Joshua was making his final remarks to Israel in Joshua 24 and calling them away from idolatry, calling them back to God. He said in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Sounds like a New Testament passage, doesn't it? Fear the Lord. Respect the Lord. Don't ever do anything to displease the Lord. How do you do that? You serve Him in sincerity and in truth. You respect the authority of His Word and you always stay loyal to it. Our worship must be in spirit and in truth. Jesus made this point very plain in John 4 verses 23 and 24. And we can see how important this is because we've already studied that the scribes and Pharisees' worship was in vain because they had departed from the truth. Because they were teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. 
Jesus emphasized that our worship must be in spirit and in truth. Listen. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's the sincerity. That's the genuineness of it in spirit. And in truth is according to the teaching of God's Word. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him, listen to Jesus, must, this is not optional, <coughs> and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we're going to be pleasing to God, Jesus said, we must worship God from the heart, genuinely and sincerely, and in truth according to the teaching of His Word. That's the reason it does make a difference what we do in worship. We're not at liberty to just do whatever we want to do when we come together to worship God. No, there is a pattern for worship in the New Testament. And it begins with the Lord's Supper. According to Acts 20 and verse 7, the Lord's Supper is the purpose for us assembling on Sunday, the first day of the week, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Their purpose for meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week, was to observe the Lord's Supper. Since that was their purpose on Sunday, when they met every Sunday, they observed the Lord's Supper. Read the old Bible scholars. Read people, for example, like Adam Clark. This is not just something that the Church of Christ believes that's foreign to everything and everyone else without any biblical foundation for it. There have been many people throughout the years that have taught that the New Testament taught that the reason for the Lord's Day Assembly is to observe the Lord's Supper. And since that's the reason for the Lord's Day Assembly, the Lord's Supper is observed every Sunday when we come together on the Lord's Day. Adam Clark, when you look at his commentary, on Acts 20 verse 7 simply says, the early disciples were accustomed to observing the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And there have been many, many others besides him that have recognized that this is what God's Word teaches. And so what did we do Sunday morning when we came together? We observed the Lord's Supper, didn't we? What will we do this coming Sunday if the world stands and we're still living? When we come together, we will observe the Lord's Supper. Just like the first century church did. Just like God's Word teaches. And we know that it does matter. Because we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And so when we come together for worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, what we do in worship must be according to the commandments of God and not the commandments of men. It must be the truth. It must be God's Word. The same thing is true when it comes to the music of the church. 
Sometimes people think we're strange in the Church of Christ because we don't have a piano or organ sitting in front of our buildings and someone playing that instrument and us singing along with it. That's not because we can't afford one. It's because when we study the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's Word, the truth, we see that the first century church had only a cappella singing in their worship. Vocal music. Not instrumental music, but vocal music is the only kind of music that is authorized by God's Word in the New Testament. For example, Ephesians 5 and verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. There is an instrument, but the instrument is the heart. See, that gets back to that sincerity. You sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing. There's that vocal music again that's authorized with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And again, there have been a lot of other people that's taught this, that knew exactly what the word of God taught when it came to the music of the church. Charles Spurgeon. Everyone, anyone ever heard of him? Charles Spurgeon is recognized as one of the most knowledgeable people that there's ever been. He was a Baptist preacher. And Charles Spurgeon preached, if you can believe this, to 10,000 people at the London Baptist Tabernacle for 20 years. 10,000 people every Sunday. Guess what kind of music they had in their worship? Vocal music. Acapella singing. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon why they did not use an organ or a piano or something else in their worship services. And he simply said, there's no authority in the New Testament for it. And he quoted 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. And he made the comment, I just as soon pray with an instrument as sing with an instrument, meaning there's no authority to do either one. It simply says to pray and it simply says to sing. Charles Spurgeon. What about a man by the name of John Wesley? You ever heard of him? He founded the Methodist Church, didn't he? You know what he said about the organ or piano in worship? He said, I have no objection to the organ or piano in worship along, as long as it's never seen nor heard. He taught plainly that the only kind of music authorized by the New Testament was vocal music. John Calvin did the same thing. Now, it's not right just because 
Charles Spurgeon or John Calvin or John Wesley or anyone else said it. It's right because that's what the Word of God teaches. That's what the Word of God teaches. Vocal music. And we're not to add to God's Word. We're not to add an instrument. We're not to add any religious practices that are not authorized by the teaching of God's Word, the Gospel. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 4, 2. Deuteronomy 12, 2. All teach the importance of not adding to or taking away from God's Word. And so what we do in worship, whether it's the Lord's Supper or whether it's singing, preaching, giving on Sunday the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, and praying, we do it because it's taught by God's Word. That's the commandments of God, not the commandments of men. The same could be said about the role of women in the church and when it comes to worship. Women are not to be the preachers. Women are not to be the elders. Women are not to be the deacons. Study all of those passages. Men have the leadership roles in the church. That doesn't mean women are not important. We talked about Dorcas in great detail. We talked about Phoebe in great detail. We talked about Priscilla, didn't we? The wife of Aquila. Women have a great role to fulfill in the church, and they do. It's just not in the leadership roles. Study 1 Timothy 2 when you have the time and opportunity. But see, everything we do in the church must be according to the authority of the truth, which is God's Word. And so, our worship must be in spirit and in truth. According to Isaiah 26 and verse 2, we are to keep the truth. That's what Isaiah was emphasizing to the nation of Israel. Keep the truth. Jeremiah 5 verses 1 through 3. Jeremiah was so upset because God's people wouldn't seek the truth. And he talked about the fact that they had become so hard and so callous to the Word of God that it was not correcting them any longer. Not that God's Word couldn't correct them, but they refused to let it correct them. Because they were hard-hearted and had calloused hearts. And the emphasis was to seek the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and what a passage this is. This passage is talking about the great falling away that was going to come. It actually had already started in the first century. And one of the characteristics that was highlighted by Paul of this great falling away was that those people would not love the truth. You know, we've got a real problem today in the church about people loving the truth. The ones of us that are older, we can remember 50 or 60 years ago how loyal and dedicated people were to the truth. And today, yes, I'm talking about even in the church, 
People do not have a concept of what the truth actually teaches. And a lot of people have the idea it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're sincere. Oh, sincere, sincerity is important. We've already emphasized that. But there must be sincerity and what? And obedience to the truth. And so we must love the truth. We also must not oppose the truth. I want you to listen to these two verses. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 8. First of all, where Paul said, For we can do nothing against the truth before the truth. We must never oppose the truth. We must never be against the truth of God's Word. Listen, listen to 2 Timothy 3 and verse 8. And notice the emphasis here. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. We must never resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. You know what the word reprobate means? It means refusing to accept. These people that Paul is talking about refuse to accept the truth. And also, we must not change the truth. In talking about the sins of the Gentiles in Romans 1 verse 25, Paul said that they had changed the truth of God into a lie. That is a sad statement. They had changed the truth of God into a lie. Do we see that in our society today? I mean, we see it all the time where evil is called good. Same-sex marriages? Homosexuality? Abortion? Divorce for every cause? Just go right on down the line. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? Again, we can see that we must serve God in sincerity and in truth. Here's our third point. We are to teach the way of God in truth. There's an interesting passage in Matthew 22 that I want you to turn with me and notice for just a moment. Verse 15 says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, entangle Christ in his talk. And they're going to say some things about him here that are exactly right. But they're not accepting Christ. They're refusing Him. They're being reprobates. They're refusing His teaching. But they say some things about Him that describe how He was and how we should be. And they sent out unto Him, this is verse 16, their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Is that not what I'm supposed to do as a preacher? 
Am I not supposed to make sure that I teach the way of God in truth? Yes. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And that's what everyone is supposed to do. Teach the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Now, they're not sincere. They're trying to trap him. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? And we know what he did. He took a coin. He asked whose image was on it. And he told them, Render, therefore, to God the things that are God's and to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. There wasn't any contradiction between Caesar and God or being loyal to one and not being loyal to the other. They were trying to arraign him against Caesar. He made it plain that you have a responsibility to God and you have a responsibility to Caesar, the Roman government. Fulfill both of them. Just like we have a responsibility to God and we have a responsibility to our government, right? Fulfill both of them. It's very, very simple. And we think about how wicked our government is and there's certainly a lot of things that need to be changed, but... I'm going to tell you, we haven't reached the corruption of the Roman Empire yet. And we all pray that we never will, right? Right. Paul spoke the words of truth. In Acts 26, when he was appearing there at Caesarea before Festus and specifically King Agrippa, old Festus, he just couldn't stand, this is the Roman governor, he just couldn't stand hearing about the death and resurrection of Christ. And you know what he told Paul? I want you to listen. Begin with verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, as Paul made his defense, spoke for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Paul said in verse 25, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Paul was speaking the words of truth. Again, that's what every preacher must do. As a matter of fact, Paul said to the Ephesian elders in that discourse in Acts 20, specifically verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. It all must be respected. It all must be preached. And it all must be obeyed. That's the plain teaching of Paul and the other great preachers and teachers of the first century church. And so we are to teach the way of God in truth. Again, we see that truth is the standard of a great congregation. And then our last point. We must never forget that the judgment of God is according to truth. Those are the words of Romans 2 and verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Therefore we are commanded in James 2 and verse 12, So speak ye and so do, 
as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. And the gospel of Christ, God's word, is called the law of liberty because it sets us free from sin. And we are told here that everything we say and everything we do should be said and done in light of the fact that we are going to be judged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth. What did Jesus say in John 12 and verse 48? He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. When we stand before Jesus Christ on the judgment day, His word is going to be opened. And we will be judged by it. The truth will be opened. And we will be judged by it. If we have followed the commandments of God, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If we have followed the commandments of men, we will find out that our relationship with God has been vain. And none of us want that to happen. See, there's a difference between truth and error. The Bible is the truth. And when we study the truth, then we know what error is. Because anything that disagrees with the truth is error. It's just that simple. And so if someone comes up to you tomorrow and they tell you that it's okay for two men to be married to one another, All you have to do is to go to the truth, God's Word, and show them that that's error. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. All the way back in the beginning in Genesis 2, when we read of the first home. <clears throat> that's God's plan that's God's divine institution that a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the same thing is true with every other question here's what the truth teaches anything that disagrees with it is error and so yes we can see why the truth is the standard of a great congregation. I've spent my life trying to call people back to the truth. Because the truth is what sets us free from sin. Because we are to serve God in spirit and in truth. 
because we are to teach the way of God in truth and because we are going to be judged by the truth. Tonight, if you have not obeyed the truth to be set free from sin, you need to believe in Christ, repent of your sins, confess Him as the Son of God, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Tonight, if you have allowed someone, like those Galatians did, to deceive you and lead you away from the truth, you need to repent of that and come back to God and be a faithful member of His church. It's such a blessing to know that the Lord is still inviting us to come. And it's such a privilege to be able to extend His invitation. And if you need to come to Him tonight, Please do as we stand inside. <laughs>